Hey everybody, this is the uh, Talking Energy Show. Welcome aboard. I'm uh, Matt Hill. I'm with Night Energy Services. We have a guest in the studio. Hi y'all. I'm Katie Plass. I'm with Dinosaur Consulting. Nice. Yeah, Jeremiah Smith, Trace Management. And then our main guest, our main attraction, Chuck, the Chuck, one and only Chuck Chuck Chuck. Chuck, Chuck. We don't have any cool intro music yeah. like yeah. you have. <laughs> you got all the cool music on yours. Tell everybody, you know, tell everybody who you are. Chuck Yates, unemployed. Going on like 15 months now wow. of unemployed. Mm-hmm. It takes a special kind of sack of shit to be able to go 15 months. What does that change about your mentality? At 12 months, you kind of give up. And you're like, yeah. Man. No, he started a podcast, and he said, hey, I'm such Still a podcast. I will show you with my intelligence mm-hmm. over and over again through, what now, 20 episodes, 30 episodes? I, I, I think uh, today's drop was 31. 31. Part 31 two. episodes. Part two with Dan Pickering. And what's the name of the podcast? Chuck Yates Needs a Job. Chuck Yates Needs a Job. I haven't even had an offer. No? I mean, yeah, I haven't even gotten a phone call. Hey, Chuck, what are you doing? I haven't even gotten a sniff. Well, you got to just keep doing podcasts because insanity works. So sooner or later, someone will offer you a job if you oh, keep perfect. doing them. There we go. That'll if be in the see. middle of nowhere, like North Sea, somewhere you don't ever want to go. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're here today. You uh, you came in on uh, on behalf of the uh, Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma to uh, speak tonight for us at the uh, at their uh, Wildcatters Wednesday, but now we're doing it as a uh, evening uh, soiree so man thank you for uh, volunteering to do that i have no idea why i mean y'all should aspire to more this is the no. first party post-covid mm-hmm. i mean right well yeah, it's i mean it's it's your knowledge uh, jeremiah talked about it i mean most of us in this room and outside this room in oil and gas need to get uh cozied up and uh friendly with uh private equity money and how to go about getting it and we couldn't go do that, so we it. got you, Chuck. Yeah. 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 You're the next best thing, man. No one else answered blood, the phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kicked me out. Well, well we think that was you were too, good too smart, for that anyway. too ahead of your time. It's too ahead of my time. I'll try to give you exactly. some benefit of that. I mean, really, like Jeremiah's like, hey, we know a lot about a little bit in oil and gas, but man, on, on that side of it, like what in the world, like what do you have to tell everybody? Before we get into that, I just have, have you heard anything else about the sequestration Russians? <laughs> that was wild. It was, did y'all actually listen to Carbon I, Capture game? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I love Carbon Capture. It's very interesting so, to me. So it's like y'all two and my mother listen. <laughs> the, uh, I told you, you I was going to binge listen yesterday. You did say that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. did say that. Well, thank you. I actually really liked Carbon Capture Gate, and I hate to tell you this. Did you notice the date of the drop? I did not. Because, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Okay. I, I noticed, man. Had. You know what he means by that, all you earthlings out there? Well, I do, and it's it's a great slap in the face to all that ridiculousness. Thank you. For Who did that. the voices? Uh, actually, uh, undisclosed. People oh. that care to remain not anonymous. But, yeah, it was actually totally made up. We stayed in the studio for about 12 hours. Like, we were to the point creating this thing where we were literally Googling, what does a dial tone sound like in Russia? And we found it online, and we recorded it and put it in and uh, all that sort of stuff. And I literally thought it was going to be the greatest, most downloaded podcast in the history of energy and like I said, I think three people have listened to it. It's on its way. It yeah. Well, now it will, you know, because we have three followers as well. So you're going to double up six? that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, we have three and a half now. There's a child out there that loves loves you. You are <laughs> Is it canon. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. My my two year old is all about Jeremiah's voice. He's like, that sounds just like a cartoon character. I know. Oh, oh great! Well, now they'll love me. Yeah, you two are gonna be famous in our house. Awesome. All right, so let's break this down, Chuck. And uh, I actually asked a couple people, what should I ask Chuck while I got him in here? Because uh, uh, private equity is kind of a black hole. Uh, right. Of course, Trace deals with private equity. Uh, companies that are backed by private equity on a regular basis to do drilling and completions, but we don't really know how they got that money. So I kind of want to talk about the qualitative and quantitative reasons and how you chose to give this management group money for that asset, or you pay G&A for this guy. They don't even have an asset. They're pretty much a, a SPAC, you know. Uh, so run us through it. All right, and here's the beauty of this. All of those things that we used to have to make decisions on mm -hmm. and give somebody some G&A money and this and how to pick them, all that stuff's gone, right? Because since minus $37 oil, I mean, is there going to even be another private equity oil and gas fund raised? I mean, some folks are out doing it. Sure, it's mm -hmm. going to be much smaller. So now it is what I'll call kicking and screaming to be able to get money from mm -hmm. a private equity firm. You literally have to have an asset identified, under contract, a team in place, ready to go, a defined use of money, and it has to be at returns that are so eye-popping that you can't even fathom that they're real. Mm -hmm. And so the How bar fast do they want those returns? You know, I think... I think uh, the the dirty little secret of private equity is, you know, back in the day, you wanted to invest money, get the money returned pretty quickly so you could go raise the next fund. Because mm -hmm. you guys know how this works, right? You go out to, no. let's go out to in foundations, endowments, pension funds, and mm -hmm. we're going to raise a fund mm -hmm. and we're going to get commitments. So let's raise a billion dollar fund, right? What happens when we raise that billion dollar funds? We, we fund. We don't actually get a billion dollars, right? We just have the right to call people and get that billion. Mm -hmm. So we have a commitment period for five years. And let's just say we're really lucky and we're charging a 2% management fee on that. So we get for five years under the contract, 2% of that billion, $20 million a year, right? Mm -hmm. Then after that, you charge management fees on the lesser of the dollars invested in the deals that are still in the fund or the fair market value mm -hmm. of, uh, of those deals. Do you so get to pick either or? It's the lesser of. Okay. Lesser of. So the way to think about this is I got five years of big fees and then a tail of small fees, yeah. right? And so the reason you wanted rapid fire is folks wouldn't let you raise the next fund until you had capital deployed, mm -hmm. right? So you would raise your capital, you'd get it deployed kind of as quickly as possible. When you'd hit numbers like 50% of it invested, and it got as low like in the heydays, maybe 25% invested, you'd raise the next fund. Can I ask one question yeah. while we're going? And it's really just because I'll forget if I don't. Okay. Uh, so when you say that you want to place those funds with uh, Joe Blow's uh, resources, right? Now is that pretty much a line of credit? Like uh, they don't, you're not going to give them 175 and say good luck. You know the asset costs 40 million, and you get to let this money sit in your bank account until it's like, you. It's eat like it a it's line sitting of credit in their bank account. 
Mm -hmm. It's like a line of credit from a bookie. I mean, you can come ask me for it, and uh, and I may or may not give it to you. Okay. So don't think of it as a revolver or mm -hmm. a credit card. You know, think of it as maybe a henchman sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> so so here's the key, right? So we've raised our billion dollar fund. We get twenty million dollars a year for the next five years. So what do we want to do? We want to raise the next one as soon as possible, because then we get another five years of $20 million. Man, we start stacking those fees. You know, we get three funds and the big fees. We got 60 million bucks in one year, man. That's that's good living, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was the reason for kind of the breakneck speed. Plus, it was actually how the industry was going, man. You yeah. drill one well, get a log, holy shit, this is going to work, right? And yeah. you'd flip it, you know, to Chesapeake mm -hmm. um, or the like. And so that's how it was going. Well, now you're not going to see as many uh, funds raised because the world just went from needing 10 to 12% allocation to energy to maybe two. Okay. And quite frankly, they hate oil and gas now. So not so just supply and demand is going to crunch us. It's also this the physical hatred of oil and gas. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. We don't exactly have a good reputation. That's too bad. We should. Well, we should, but you know what? Okay, so here's my theory on that. We, back in the day, energy ran counter-cyclical to the economy, right? High oil prices, you know, sucked the life out of the economy. So we, oil barons, right, would do really, really well but the rest of the economy would be hurting. And we were obnoxious as all get out about it. We printed, you're too young to remember this, but we printed bumper stickers that said things like, freeze a Yankee, that TV show Dallas with J.R. Oh, yeah. Ewing. That was a documentary. That, yeah. was not, that was not, and so we were so obnoxious about it. So that's just, you know, that, that kind of ingrained sort of hatred combined with when we start fracking and we wouldn't tell anybody what was in the frack fluid. That's Guess what? what? It's gonna... water and sand. Mm -hmm. I mean. Right. And that's what I was going to say, too. You know, even from just a publicity standpoint, we would. We, you know, frack was the, the new F word. People were terrified of it. And we would all ask, act super secretive, like, you can't know our dirty little secret. Like, half of it's in gum. Like, guar? I mean... Why, why are we so private about something that we could have helped our own reputation and we were just too snotty about it? Katie was uh, kind enough to join me today after a quick prod on the phone last night late. I was sitting there with Misty and uh, I was like, you know who needs to be in here today? Katie. She worked for Chesapeake and now she runs her own. Well, you went to a company backed by a, a private equity. Yeah, I consulted then, for them. And then uh, now you're doing your own consulting as well. Yeah. And uh, by the way, everybody, uh, thank you for... Uh, the studio up here, Trace Management, uh, always need to plug them. Uh, they do uh, consulting as well. So uh, tell me just a little bit for everybody listening since Katie's in here. Uh, you just your background. Where would you come from? So I am from middle of nowhere, Ohio. Went to Marietta. Got a petroleum engineering degree, a geology degree, and an engineering leadership certificate. Long list of pieces of paper. Um, went to Chesapeake right out of school. Worked for them. Uh, did rotations, but... Kind of found my love in drilling engineering and have drilled quite a few basins across the United States. And um, bankruptcy, COVID, layoffs, and the end of 2020. And Man, I bet on you as my racehorse at Chesapeake, too. I was like, young, female, smart. Kicking ass. I definitely was like, she's <laughs> going to be my drilling engineer. She's going to be the drilling manager, and I'll just go to her, and she'll give me all their work. Mm -hmm. Dang oh, yeah. it, Katie. I mean, I just set a record for them, too. I, I mean. I know. <laughs> 
But are they going to be allowed to drill another well? Yes, again? absolutely. Well? Oh, they yeah. got a great balance sheet now. Yeah, yeah they're, they're coming they're, out. They should be drilling a well. They're but... going to be drilling a well real soon. Right mm-hmm. back here in Oklahoma, we hope. In the yeah. Mississippi line. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah, we, you know we what? sold yeah. all that. I know. Stuff. We're making yeah. <laughs> All right, so we know how you, where you guys got the money from. When I say you guys, the, the private equity firms, right? Yeah, pension so, funds and so everything that, else. That's they where you're getting the money. And the original point was, or the original question I think you had asked is, how, how, how quick do you want the money back? Mm-hmm. Well, today you don't mind having a longer hold period, right? Because... Okay. You keep getting your management fees the whole time you're you're holding it, right? You're not stacking funds up mm-hmm. like you used to. So and you got a longer hold period. The risk also is like I may not be able to stack these mm-hmm. funds, so I need to hold on to these and make sure I get my management fees and stay in business. Yeah, and I mean with a straight face, you can actually tell yourself, you know, my investors are paying a two percent management fee. Is it going to be worth more two percent more at the end of next year? That's pretty easy to talk yourself into. It is, and knowing right, that yeah. the assets are dying. What about that? Or like knowing they're dr- uh, drilling dry holes and whatnot. And yeah, yeah no, exactly. It's we, like, we, talk, we talk ourselves into a hundred oil. Sure. We yeah. probably do it in 15 minutes yeah. here. Oh, really? we can do it easy. Yeah. Was it your podcast? That's, I think you said something uh, that you're pretty sure, that, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, we're already heading that way, but at least $75 a barrel this summer. Did I say that? I think so. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah. That sounds like something <laughs> I would say. I mean, if you're going to go to work for a private equity company, you should probably start raising the stakes right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's going to hire me, so it's okay. It's coming, everybody. Watch out. Yeah, I was about to say, 15 months of unemployment at this point. It's roaring not back, even, Not even a call. What is your, what, what's, what's your new private equity company going to be? What are you going to call it? Yeah, that's a good question. The uh, I don't think anybody would give me money, so I don't I don't think there will be a new private equity. You, you have to dream curt, it into existence. Yeah, I've, got like, I've, got yeah. Like, I've got like $3 and some change in my pocket, man. We're going to get started today. All right. I like it. <laughs> so you got the money. You got the money. You got you got, got this commitment. $3.20. Where now, how do you pick your team to disperse this three twenty five? Obviously, I'm a salesman. Yeah, exactly. I like it. The... Uh, you know, so back in the day, I mean, you, you, you kind of wanted, you, you got your teams from a couple of places. Basically, somebody that came out of the higher ranks at Chesapeake and the larger companies, right? Um, you had folks that had kind of bootstrapped their whole life and just needed capital to go to the next step. And then you had folks that basically were sort of number twos, number threes at other private equity-backed companies, we didn't do so well with people coming out of larger companies. Generally speaking, those were more rock star-ish type folks, and they like to do bigger deals yeah. and the like. And, and when I was at Kane, we were kind of five guys in a rusty pickup truck, yeah. dirt under the fingernails type. And, and so we generally did better with number twos and threes coming out of previous private equity-backed companies and or folks that had bootstrapped their way up. Sure. And so... You know, I think what, in hindsight, kind of looking back at things, we did our best with folks that kind of had a core competency, and we had them doing that core competency. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you had – we had one team that had never done a deal outside of two counties in the panhandle of Texas. So they just knew it all, right? And when you could walk in and share with those guys, hey, here's some new technology we're seeing in other places. It really works well with rock like this. 
Those guys are like, well, that's the old Jones Field, and, mm-hmm. you know, Farmer Bob has that, and we leased that mm-hmm. back then, and let's go study it and the like. When you, when you had folks that made money, sometimes despite themselves, um, and then they wanted to do something bigger, mm-hmm. go to a different base, and that's usually where you wound up messing up. I think today, though, the bar is about as high as it's ever been. I have no doubt. Of, yeah, I have a couple buddies that got a, a, a very large commitment, just shallow of $200 million, uh, a commitment. And they're paying them G&A. I'm sure it's squalor, right? Not not what they were used to from the companies that came from. But And they, they brought several deals to their backers, and they've been turned away every time. They haven't been able to place the... Uh, buy an asset yet? You know they won't relieve the give them the funds, but they're not cutting them off from GNA. Well, that's pretty amazing because I mean the the quote unquote equity line of credits I've heard are just dead. Mm-hmm. The folks aren't doing it. It's walk in and show me an asset. Well, this was two got. years ago now. They had this uh, commitment. That's uh, right. That wasn't yesterday. By any gotcha. Yeah, I'd assume no one's paying GNA until you have an asset at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've got a couple of weeks left. I guess is. So are private equity companies uh, like his coming to you guys like Trace and uh, Dinosaur and saying, hey, we need an engineer for this project? Or are you guys going to them and saying, hey, I can do projects for you? Or is it kind of both ways these days? They don't come to us. Uh, Usually there's a management team. He's got two guys with the dirt under their fingernails, and they're going to raise the money. So the operator, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really have any dealing. That's why this is so great because it's a black hole. And I think it's a black hole for most people to not understand – the process of getting the money, getting the asset. So can you like walk us through the steps of you got these three guys in old rusty pickup, they show up, they've got a great, there's a big pool of oil under it. You believe in them. What's next? See, I got to cut you off on that one. So I, before you dive into that, I'll say it's been opposite for me. You know, it's been, Hey, so-and-so knows you, knows you're smart. You know, you're right around. Hey, will you go look at their stuff? And then I have a conversation with them. And so the people that I've consulted for, they've found me. But it's, you know, because of friends and the network that I've built here Those around Oklahoma. Those are operators, Oklahoma. though, not the private equity company itself. That was someone that has the money. That's what I'm saying. I well, don't go directly to the banker and tell them what I want, how I want to drill this curve. In a couple of places, I've had one that, you know, it was the backing that mm-hmm. came to me. But it was through a recommendation. And, yeah. They said, they said, hey, we've got this company over here. They're almost there, but we know you. Would right. you? I, I told them to talk to you. Yeah. And go get. So this I have stuff. those sorts of things can right. happen. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Katie, Jeremiah. Cutting <laughs> off. The no. So generally, the the process will go something along these lines. You walk in, you go through your background, right? And the private equity person's trying to figure out, you know, are you honest or are you going to steal my money? They're trying to figure out, do you actually know what you're doing um, and the like. So that's kind of the dance at first. Then you're walking through the, the, the asset. And, you know, most private equity folks have gotten to the point now they have engineers mm-hmm. on staff. So your team is talking technical turkey to the other engineer. And the assessment there is not so much, you know, is the de- terminal decline 9%, is it 8%? It's just, generally speaking, are we viewing risk the same way? I mean, somebody walks in and says, we're going to triple our money doing these refracts, and you say, okay, how do you know they're going to work? Well, we did it one time 17 miles away, yeah. and the log looked totally different. Well, you're going to go, all right, we may not 
we may not need to pay for that. We may not. We maybe shouldn't be counting on that. But if they walk in with the story of here, we did twelve of these, the offsetting field. Here's how it looked. Here's how they worked, etc. Okay, maybe that makes some sense. So, you're, so it's really kind of this technical assessment, figuring out are we on the same page risk wise, and then you start crunching numbers and just figuring out, you know, how am I going to make two and three times my money, you know, over some period of time if we make this investment. So that's when the finance geeks get involved, the Excel gets going and the like. And so at some point in there, probably a term sheet gets thrown out. Hey, here's what it's going to look like. The elements of those term sheet, you know, private equity firm wants you putting money up once you haven't skin in the game. Uh, there's a an appropriate balance there between uh, having you invest but they don't want you investing so much that if something goes bad and all of a sudden you've lost everything, your decision-making gets unaligned. Uh, want it to hurt if it doesn't work out, but at the same time not destroy you. So there will be money involved, and generally speaking, the way terms will look is everybody's going to get their money back, everybody's going to get some sort of return, and then the management team does better over time as things uh, get better. It's in everyone's best interest to win. Every single buddy is invested, yep. I think, uh, you know, it's my understanding that kind of since the crash and, you know, now that private equity firms are just slamming every company together and Mm -hmm. only putting money out the door if there's there's really an asset to go do. You said that earlier about, you know, you saw so many of these companies uh, getting smashed together. They they had assets. Why do they, you know, we always wonder why, why do they do that? Why does a private equity company have five companies all drilling pretty much the same wells all around themselves and then smash them together later? Like that's well, okay. Well, let's let's go back to uh, point number one. We got to get money out the door to raise that next fund, okay. right? It's easier to do when there are five of them as opposed to one, right? So that's why we're doing that. Then when money gets tougher to raise, and bad stuff starts happening, what do you do? You gotta have a story for your LPs, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just go in and say, Well, we're hoping the Saudis get their act together and prices go up. You can't say that. You gotta have a plan. So you walk in and you say, Wow, we're smashing all these companies together, we're creating efficiencies, we're saving GNA, we're pr- prioritizing drill schedules. And you look really freaking smart when you do that, man. You say it with a lot of confidence. Yeah, just pointing like, like that. verbal vomit of, like, buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, you gave yourself a way out, though, I guess, by smashing all these guys. Oh, this management team's where it's at. They've drilled the best wells. So we'll... I even heard one of the private equity firms says, well, that's our defined strategy. We, t- we put five teams out there, and the best one survives. We have survival of the fittest, and that's the way it works. We do that by design. And it's like, really? Yeah, well, you didn't trust... Who was the genius vice president that, like, thought that up as a marketing strategy? But, yeah. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, (laughs) unless you just really are pissing away a lot of money, you're probably not saving much doing the smash code, but it really sounds good, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's why they're doing it. Oh, we have have many friends that have been involved in the... uh, They were the go part of the smash, so, you know, we're we're looking for places for them. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of friends, but yeah. hey, they can get they can go out there and reach out to private equity companies, get their next gear going. Maybe, Maybe. I mean, they got to show up with an asset. Do we? I mean, are, who are we talking to these days? Are we talking to uh, East Coast and West Coast uh, kids that grew up in the uh, 
in the Ivy League schools? Is that our investors we're uh, not going to get money from, or who's who's got the money these days? Yeah, I think the East Coast is done. Yeah. I mean, you know, you list all the big guys, Apollo, Warburg, all that. Everybody's like, we're not touching oil and gas again. So you've kind of got the Texas folks left. Um, There's some Ohio in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah, the one that I'm working for, the the private equity that's kind of funding the well research. You know, like you said, the technical engineer in the room doing the research. That's what I'm doing now. Uh, you know, he's out of Pennsylvania, so you still see a little bit of that. And it's you know a company that has been going well, and he wants to do something else, so he's taking funding from here, and he's now the private equity. So and he knows really. I mean, I mean, is is oil and gas still in your mind? The I mean. Really, it's risky, of course, we all know that, but is it still the best place to put your money for investment? What do you oh, think? it's never been a good place to put your investment. You're not going to get returns on any other investment like you can in oil and gas. Well, okay, so so this brings up kind of a bigger, bigger issue because let's go pre-shale revolution. Okay. The beauty of the oil and gas business was despite yourself, you could get rich like there was mm-hmm. no tomorrow. I call it a lottery ticket business, kind of, back then. I mean, the Saudis could get pissed off at the U.S., embargo, boom, oil prices triple, you're rich. You know, you could, I mean, like way back in the day, the def- the divining rod hit something, and boom, you got this huge field. Um, you know, you had... Uh, 3D seismic during the 90s. I mean, we could all of a sudden image this stuff, and boom, you could you could get rich overnight. And I think what happened with the shale revolution, and we turned it into this manufacturing process, we were actually so good at it that we put, in effect, a permanent cap on oil at 60. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we're at... <laughs> We're at 69 today. Going to 75. It's going to 75, exactly, like I said. But um, we, in effect, put this cap on it, and so the lottery ticket of being able to get rich was taken off the table. Uh, you had a while early on in the shale revolution where you had shale underneath your, you know, oh, look at this, I got the Haynesville. Who'd have mm-hmm. thought, you know? And you could go hit it with the big hammer and you made some money. But once we kind of hit most of the stuff with the big hammer, it was done. Mm-hmm. It became a real business, quite frankly, a crappy business, right? You sell a commodity, you drill with a, a rig that everybody else uses, you complete the same way as everybody else does because the service company tells everyone. It's commodity, commodity all along. And it's priced by the marginal barrel out there in a world where Saudis have pretty cheap oil. And so... It took away the ability to get rich. And I always hated it when management teams would walk in and say, this time it's different. It's never different. It's a commodity business. But this time it may be different in that we fundamentally kind of changed the business. And it's crappy. And you have to work really hard to make money. And nickels and dimes matter. And yeah. Does that translate to stability for oil and gas then? And maybe like, hey, look, I know my investment now will make, I'm never going to get rich, but I'm going to have a return. You know, you know, maybe if you, if you pay, if you pay the right price for, for assets to be able to do that, but even that 
it's tough to do. It really so, is. It's still yeah. hard. These assets are still going. You know, we'll do a lot of reservoir analysis on these, and we're still seeing these things going for a premium, which I don't really understand. Everyone's hoping on the come, right? That it's yeah. always hoping on that. Well, yeah. another big thing now is this, you know, what's behind pipe. You know, they're looking at all these old wells, which Lord knows casing issues, but, you know, this whole thing now is, oh, we're going to buy this field. What's behind pipe? What's What was what was missed? What was missed? And so, so do you see companies going, going with big reentry programs? Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, every time I talk to, you know, someone that wants me to consult, they're, you know, hey, you, you know, you're drilling, you've got a geology degree too. What's behind pipe? What's there? You know, what was missed? And, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, we do have some stacked pay, but I think so many people are banking on that now and... And I think they're paying for it, to your yeah. point. I mean, I, it, it ain't free. So, yeah, no, it still amazes me that the, the huge sucking of capital we've yes. had out of this industry, people can still overpay for stuff. And I think it's I think it's because if you own an asset today, even if you're a bank, even if you're a commercial bank and you yanked back a loan and owned the asset, you're still sitting there going, well, maybe oil is going to go to 75 or 80. Why do I sell this? And so that's why I think we've seen kind of record low M&A volumes, even before oil hit minus 37. I mean, mm-hmm. 2019, That really did happen, up. man. No, it, yeah, that, we were falling off in fourth quarter of 2019 for sure. The market was already rescinding a bit. And 2020, certainly, you know, March killed it. But it was already happening. It was already falling off. We were going through another slump, which are much closer together anymore. Oh, yeah. That. They're no longer 20-year cycles. It's... <laughs> The problem for Oklahoma, like you, I mean, if you follow us here, we're the very first to suffer from the downs and the last to pick up from the highs. I mean, we just get our guts kicked in, and we it takes us longer to get up than anybody. I always say we make a lot of water, a fair amount of gas, and a little bit of oil. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it seems like Oklahoma does, and so it's a Feels lot like harder that. to be profitable. About but it, especially we're, we're announcing here today that there's a there's a very very good chance that we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing well in Oklahoma. So if you have money out there and you want to invest in oil and gas, here's the place, allegedly. <laughs> Nothing we say in this studio reflects on trace management. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're talking Senator, about... Senator, I can just use an allegation. So you got all this, uh, like, tell us about the different... If you, if Chuck was like, you know what, oil and gas is actually awesome, I want to invest in it. What, how are you going to finance? Are you going to go to private equity? Tell us what mezzanine financing is. Tell us the different creative capital structures that you could use to buy production or to buy uh, drilling. You know, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's actually really simple. There's equity and there's debt, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that simple. And all really people do that are in the middle somewhere on the balance sheet is they're putting some structure around stuff, uh, and it makes them sleep better at night. But I don't know that it's really any any different and stuff. So, you know, way back in the day, you used to have the private equity guys that we all know about. You had all the commercial banks that you know about. And what Enron figured out was Enron figured out, you know what? We'd rather have the volumes, mm-hmm. the oil, the gas, etc., because we can go trade that and make a lot of money in our trading system. So they started loaning money, and instead of getting paid back in dollars, they got paid back in set volumes. And that really was the birth of the volumetric production payment. So that was kind of this funky, funky structure back in the day that was a little bit of 
a little bit different. About the same time, NCAP figured out, you know what, there's probably some wells that are lower risk to drill, but that the commercial bank won't drill, but it's definitely not as as risky as you know 25 and 30 and 35 percent dollars so we'll do what's called mezzanine we'll walk in and say don't go get equity from natural gas partners and bank debt from jp morgan or wells fargo we'll give you all the money and this way you're you know in the old way you were paying kind of blended 12 percent we'll take 12 percent we're just going to do it all so we'll loan you this money and and so that was really kind of mezzanine finance, and that went down paths of, of we'll loan you all the money, we'll just cash flow sweep everything that comes along till it's paid off, and we get an uh, we get an interest rate. Maybe we'll take an override on that, and uh, and so that that kind of is late '90s, early 2000 finance, and it took various forms of we'll loan you some money, we'll take warrants, we'll take equity, and the like. But really what kind of standardized around, let's call it the mid-2000s, is private equity firm and a management team saying, you need $300 million, you guys put up $3 million, we'll put up $297 million, and we'll figure out a waterfall to share the profits, and let's just do that with bank debt. Because mm-hmm. the whole trading aspect of getting a hold of the volumes that went away when Enron, El Paso, and all those guys kind of imploded. So you, you, you would see banks periodically do something like that structure, but really kind of over the last 10 to 15 years, there hasn't been that much in the way of creative stuff. I mean, you've had, you've had some debt providers that were in effect just, you know, where a bank might loan, call it 60, 65% of PDP. Mm-hmm. Maybe the debt provider would do another 25 or 30% of PDP and charge it 10 to 14% instead. Heck, but, it's actually a little bit better than that. Like uh, a lot of banks, 65% of PDA is what they Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, back in, you know, back in the day, kind of, you know, pre-call it, you know, 2000, the end of 2019, like you were talking, I mean, yeah, banks that were loaning money like drunken sailors you know we used to talk about what time is it at the bar with the banks oh it's about 11 okay so they've got a few cocktails in dude it's 2 30 man they're ripped you know <laughs> borrow as much as yeah, you can time to get in there huh yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. well we, we all know that if you uh, come up here to trace in the afternoon you might get a uh, snifter or, or two of uh, brown water yeah, we appreciate that about you bit. A little yeah. bit here. You know, we know you have another speaking engagement. Yeah, so, so we weren't going to get started with our... We're going to uh, incentivize you by sliding that little glass of ice. Yeah, we <laughs> could, we could stay in here for hours. Sure, we have. would appreciate that. Me Poor Corey sloppy. Nunes. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, another thing. I've, I've brought them other guests like that as well. <laughs> so, Chuck, you decide, you know what, I'm going to start up. Do you go to the private equity? You form your team. You say, I've got an asset. How would Chuck do it? How would Chuck do it to be successful? And why I bring this up is for anyone listening that is really curious about how this model has worked, and if it does come back, how for them to be successful. So here's here's what you do today. No no kidding. That's going to sound like I'm joking. You take the money any fucking place you can get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, money is so scarce and is so hard to get these days that if you can get the money and you actually really like the asset and think you can do things with it, 
don't get cute and, oh, negotiate term sheets and go talk to 12 different sources. You get somebody to sign the freaking document and you get the asset bought as soon as you can. Go prove it. Yeah. You don't worry about 5 to 10 or 15%. I think that is one of the biggest mistakes I have ever that I've seen. I mean, I have never, ever gone and gotten a beer with a CEO who said, you know what my problem was? Man, I just raised too much money. <laughs> Never. How many millions of beers have I gotten with people? God, man, if we just had $30 million to weather that downturn, we'd have been worth you know millions. Right on the way back. You know, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, if we just had a little bit more money, we could have gotten this asset. So, you know, today with how hard it is to get an asset, and how hard it is to get it financed. Man, you get somebody on the hook, you reel it in, you put it in the boat. Because at the end of the day, to actually make some money, you have to get an asset, it has to do well, and it's binary. Mm-hmm. That either happens or it doesn't. My dad's a doctor, and people come to him and say, well, what are my chances of living from this disease? And my dad always says, it's either 100 or 0. You're either going to live or you're not. And so I would tell an entrepreneur today, don't get cute. Get the asset, get in the boat, make money. Because I'll also tell you this, if you do really well, you got a lot of leverage there at the end. Sure. With the do they kind of oh, yeah, start competing for you at that point? Like they, 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 co- they pri- other, other private equity firms call you up and say, hey, by the way, your next project, we want to back you because yeah. we know that you're a winner. Certain, certainly back in the day, there was that threat. You guys, um, you guys actually chased down work versus the other way around. Yeah, no, definitely back in the day there was that. So that may come back. There's also just human nature. If you go in and hit the ball out of the park mm-hmm. and you want, you know, five, ten million bucks worth of bonuses for the team and you did really great, how does that how does the private equity person say no at that point? So my advice, if you get even a shot at getting a deal, get it done. Chuck, 10%. I've never seen 10% interest rates since, uh, and I'm 35, 36. Uh, but so I graduated high school in 2003. You've never heard of inflation. Well, yeah, no, I've heard of it. And we're definitely going through it. I read it in a book. What's going on with lumber today? That's inflation. Oh, yeah. that's, that's terrifying. It's falling though. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, so a lot of builders, that you know, April, you're going to build in the backyard. I just want a fence, man. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, People stopped building houses. It fell like 13% in April, and it's because of lumber and all the, the prices of the materials. They're like, if I build this house, sooner or later this is going to pop. I don't want to be the last guy that built a house that was 30% right. more co- expensive. So yeah. uh, what is it? Board fee uh, by the ton is falling 17% in the month of May. It's falling each week. So hopefully we're coming back to reality so I can build a pool house. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my own selfish reason. Sounds like that. such a problem. Yeah. Hey, she's not lying when she wants to fence when she goes outside and tans. I came to her house once and and she like outside tanning you know is like uh, there's people in the field back behind her like working and they stopped working this was one of those kind of podcasts yeah, I didn't know no. you guys were when i agreed to come on it's a problem yeah, I, it's a problem because you stopped construction in that other field that neighborhood is still yet to be built because you're out there tanning like you're they were still I'm gonna working talk, on yeah, it yesterday okay good well, it was cloudy. That's why. Uh, so anyway, what is it? Uh, <laughs> that's why. Like, I've never seen 10% interest rates. Uh, the most expensive, like, property I've ever had, it was at 7%, and it was a rental property. But, right. uh, you know, I know back in the 90s, people had 10% interest rates on their homes. And I'm speaking outside of credit cards. Right. I've seen 18 to 27% on a credit card. Yep. But when you're saying 10 15% interest, 
That's your way. That, that's pretty hard. What'd you, what'd you get that's on your hard. home? Is that too private? Like, what'd you get on your interest rate on your house yeah. when you bought it? Because you just bought your house. Yeah, I just not finished very building ago. four something. Yeah, that's good. Four. Yeah, that's pretty it's hard. sad that I don't know that number, but it's four something. Yeah. Well, but I mean, the way not, to, you know, a home loan, generally speaking, in America has been the safest investment in the world. You got Fannie Mae. Freddie Mac, all that backing it up. So nothing so backing up your oil and gas investment. You know, somebody giving you a hundred percent of the money to go make an acquisition of PDP and going behind pipe wells and drill wells and all that. Ten to fifteen percent is like the American dream, man. That's yeah. like free drinks at a casino. <laughs> you know, I mean, you take that all day long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. personally, I would yeah. need at least ten percent to loan money. Right? It's not worth it at five or seven percent, but. It's, just, it's hard for me to mentally say, all right, 10. I just think about the note payment, even if I'm just paying the interest. And But at some point, I'm going to have a balloon, you know? So, 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 like, when you're young, sign whatever they put in front of you. Just go ahead. When you get old, like me, I'm not going to sign anything ever again. But, you know, when you're, when <laughs> you're young, know. just sign it. Sign it, go get your property bought and do great things with it and sell it and make money. And What do you know? Yeah. I just turned 46. No way. Yeah. You don't look a day over 61. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. well, oil and gas has treated me well yeah, like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> now, you said that. So, I was actually, so I've hung out with Kid Rock twice. I thought oh, you wow. were Kid Rock when you came in. I was like, where's Chuck? You yeah, got him yeah, in the that's car. an outfit. He's got, he's got some uh, pretty awesome sneakers. Kicks. Yeah, Honestly, I, yeah, I never bit. met Chuck, but he walks into the office. So I'm like, Jesus, man, you are peacocking today. With peacocking. And also, hey, hey, Dave Ramsonwood, uh, by the way, uh, I met you with shoes. I met him with shoes. I'm kind of liking these, buddy. I like. So this is how freaking cool I am. I go buy these shoes. I go see Justin Timberlake a week later. He shows up in stage wearing these shoes. There you go. Why do you take your shoes? That's me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm just yeah, but- saying, when you're styling after Justin Timberlake and you're in the oil field, something just isn't quite adding up for me. I kind of wonder why I got kicked so, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Job, he will wear other shoes. It's starting to make sense. <laughs> I don't know where. No, I'm. I actually um. I'm gonna start test? taking advice from him. I'm gonna go that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for doing what you do. So, so the second time I ha- hang out with Kid Rock, I go up to him and I go, "Hey, Bobby, Chuck Yates." We actually hung out at the Stony Creek record party. He looks at me and goes, "Dude, rock and roll's been so hard on me. I don't have a fucking clue who you are." And I was oh, like, "All right, sweet. cool." Up. There you go. That's a good story. I appreciate that honesty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just that bad, memorable. Dude. No, it was a. But the, the cool thing about talking to him is because I took I took one of my kid my my music kiddo I took to see the show and I was sitting there going you know kiddo thought you were an amazing DJ and because he gets you know old school scratches the albums in the middle of the show and it was really cool he lit up Kid Rock lit up because he's like you know I'm a crap singer. I'm a shit rapper. In fact, the background rappers doing more of it than I am, quite frankly. But I am the best DJ on the planet. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that you're nice. like that. Yeah. Seeing me, I'm like, man, I wish he'd quit scratching those records. Now, yeah. I <laughs> Get off my lawn, kids. <laughs> so should we be telling people to go private equity because you become a celebrity? Like you're hanging out with Dave Grohl and all kind of what? Oh, Dave Grohl? Hart or if you're in oil and gas and you want to start a well, make sure you go to private equity and get meetings with people that are in the uh, entertainment industry. It all fits together. Yeah, how does that happen? How does that happen? 
You're and a rocker. Can I meet Dave Grohl? <laughs> yeah. We've already talked about what we would do with Dave Grohl. It would be amazing. It was we inappropriate. That was cool. So, so the Dave Grohl story is, um, it, it's a long story, but anyway, I wind up backstage in Nashville after his show. It's me, Jewel. It's Jewel's boyfriend. And literally just the Foo Fighters. So it's just the eight of us back there. And we sit around for an hour and we're talking. It, long story, but I'm friends with Butch Vig, who's the drummer for Garbage and Alternative Rock's greatest producer, right? He produced Nevermind by Nirvana. That's where he met Dave Grohl. He's done five or six Foo Fighter albums, Green Day albums, all Smashing Pumpkins. So anyway, we're talking all about that. We just have the best time. And Grohl finally goes, well, you know, we got to let the media in. we got to let the rest in. So I need to break up this party. And I said, hey, Dave. I tried not to fanboy on you, but I got to do this. Can we get the selfie? Yes. And, uh, Why wouldn't you? Dave looked at me and said, I knew you had it in you, Chuck. <laughs> so. Dave Grohl's coming, and you know, Foo Fighters are coming August or no, September, what, 7th? Yeah, to Oklahoma was, City. They are coming back. No, yeah, I had just tickets last it. year. We actually yeah. wanted to surprise you. We're getting you to meet Dave Grohl. I would like. I would cry, David Girl. If you're listening to this, I'll see you soon. There we go. What? Nice. Oh, that's so awesome. That guy seems like just a really cool guy to sit there. Is, with. is he the? Is he as funny in person as he is like on? Yeah. Like, okay. Now what you He's, see is he what cracks you get. me up every time I hear him do an interview, stuff like that. Yeah. No. I mean, what you see is what you get. And he yeah. is a Republican and loves oil and gas. Oh, I did not know. That. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you're Allegedly. listening, meet and greet, please. <laughs> Katie Ploss yes. and Dave Grohl. Do yeah, you think he podcasts, listens to a lot of podcasts? Do you yeah. think Dave ever listened to a shot? I don't know. You know, I had Pete Stahl on, and mm-hmm. Pete is lead singer of the DC punk rock band Scream, mm-hmm. and their second drummer was 18-year-old Dave Grohl. And so know. the Foo Fighters song, My Hero, is written about Pete Stahl. Wow. No so, way. so Pete and I met backstage at a Foo Fighters show, and he's a... Washington Redskins, or I guess the football yeah, the team, football the team. football club, or whatever. They Did call they get it. lazy, or the, everyone bought all their other names? Did you see that some guy was going ahead of it? Matt does the same thing, buying oh, no every way. possible team name that they heard or rumored. They bought the website. I've, and then they I own so many them. website names; it's hilarious. Yeah, so that was Just a real case. thing. They were having a hard time picking a name because people were going out in front of it and buying all the websites or the. Uh, you know, getting an LLC in that. I have this one. website called Chuck Yates needs a job.com and like I keep getting this guy like emailing me, asking me for get like, a dot yeah. get, get all <laughs> the yeah. I, I, I actually was able to buy that one, uh, I think for the $18 mm-hmm. from a uh, GoDaddy or whatever. Dang it. It That's was. amazing. <laughs> but, uh, you got ahead of your, uh, Fan hysteria there. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. no one else thought I was worthy of a job, so no one, <laughs> no one bought the, bought the so, pity. They're like, we're not going to charge it more. After <laughs> private equity, like, what in the world? How did you transition from, hey, I'm, I'm laid off right now, and I, I love all this podcast stuff. Like, where, when did you sit down with a, you know, a microphone and get started with this? Yeah, I just love to hear myself speak. Yeah, so, that's I funny. mean, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, um, one of the podcasts out there actually had me on, call it July. Okay. So, you know, I get shit-canned late April, sitting around doing nothing, eating bonbons, you know, watching Oprah. Cheetos. No, I don't Cheetos. believe any of this. Exactly. He stayed in Tidy pretty whities. good shape. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then uh, they had me on 
Oh, and you ought to see the picture. I mean, it was like Duck Dynasty beard. I mean, oh, it was no. just horrific. It's all gray, you know, just horrific. Hadn't had my, you know, gotten my hair cut. So I just looked horrific. And uh, we, I went on, and they normally go, call it 50, 60 minutes, cut it back to 45 and, and rock. And we wound up going three hours. And they called the next day, and they said, hey, man, it was great. Really enjoyed it. I said, when's it going to run? And they go, well, after we cut out the 23rd F-bomb, we decided we just can't edit it. We can't use it, you know. <laughs> oh, so wow. Like, yeah, so there is, there is Chuck Yates' The Lost Tape out there with, uh, with lots of F-bombs. Man, um, I, I would have ran that. <laughs> I don't know. It was a... Uh, Let's say I'm a little more refined in my podcast. You are, now. yeah. Uh, so you lo- so you actually lo- you love doing that po- show though, and it yeah, got you it, interested. It, it was fun, and and they talked about hosting it, and and it really just kind of made sense to uh, to go with the digital wildcatters guys. And yeah, stuff. I heard you say that. Like you talk to them, and you're like, you know what, you can have my show. Like I'll be on there. Yeah, that's that's our official business relationship. Yeah. I hand them a podcast, and they can publish it or not. I mean, if, if, did I guess I you heard the the story, but it was mm-hmm. kind of funny because I uh, I call up Colin. Hey, you want my podcast? He goes sure, and I go. You know, any advice? He says, Yeah, don't bring up pedophilia. I'm like, <laughs> What? Why on God's? Why would you think you need to say that to me? Right. But uh, and then you look like that guy. Well, and what's funny they even brought that story up in the first place is uh, one of the uh, one of the people he had on a show had a background in like criminal uh, psychology was it and she was and she kept like look and you're like okay i got like i'm gonna just tell you the story like you f- you you seem to feel guilty when you're telling <laughs> well, what was, what was not so, guilty about that but what was so funny about it is the the first podcast i give to uh digital wildcatters i had two anonymous energy finance twitter folks on i had brv and i had shale unikitty and it took me about three months to figure out that Shale Unikitty was actually a guy <laughs> as opposed to a, a female. Because the picture is a lovely blonde, you know. And so anyway, uh, Shale Unikitty and I are direct messaging back and forth and says, I'm going with the kitties down to the pool. And I'm like, all right, we'll send the sluttiest one down to Houston. And I get this response back, dude, that's out of line. I'm like, Oh my God! You're talking about your kids. I go. I thought you were like sorority girl, you know, with the uh, the other sorority girls. So we tell that story to start off the podcast, and we're laughing. And uh, when no. I sent that to uh, to uh, the digital wildcatters, Colin goes, "Oh, I'm gonna go listen to it right now." And five minutes later, he's like, "Dude, I said no pedophilia." <laughs> Came full circle. All right. Anyway, so y'all aren't on Twitter. Yeah, it's with, been a long time since I've been on Twitter. With all those anonymous accounts trying to figure out who's well, what. Well, what I found out during COVID is Twitter is my favorite video game. I was going on there and I was looking up like hashtag words like oil and gas, fracking, environment, like any like like just a charged word in in today's environment, right? And lo and behold it quickly became my video game of choice to go and bash liberals and their agenda and environmental crap and climate change you know all that bull crap that's fake to me right not needed and the more hate mails i got were my gold coins and at the end of the day i would collect my gold coins and i'm like woohoo i got 35 hate mails today babe and my wife being a better christian than i am misty because babe Listen, yeah, she's she's the voice of reason in my house many times yes. over each day. And she goes, honey, listen, I realize, like, you love, love, love getting hate mails and bashing liberals. 
and anything to do with anybody that hates oil and gas, like you're immediately the arch enemy, pull out the sword. You ever think just for a second that it might be in our best interest and yourself as an industry and as a person to do your very best to calmly and collectively respond to their things in the most educational way and soft way possible and maybe bring somebody memes. some point Just to memes. your side. That's how I communicate. Memes. Yeah. And memes. <laughs> <laughs> so she has, you know, she talks sense into me and now, you know, I'm like, Sugar you know what? didn't melt in your mouth now? Yeah. Oh, good. Like yeah, I'm, d- I'm doing a little bit better. Twitter is not my, uh, not my uh, video game of choice to bash people. Now it's like an informational platform to use and distribute, uh, vanilla ice cream out there to the world i'm good right up until i see fracking tower there's even a video game one of their maps has a fracking tower in it it's a drilling ring in that one i'm good and i'm educational right up until someone starts cussing me out about their fracking tower and i'm like "Mm, no why don't you just invent a fracking tower is what i don't know (laughs) We have an amazing story there. Yeah. We really actually shouldn't be fighting. You know? We're not fighting. No. We well, anymore. Now, yeah. now I think we're all under the same impression. That's like, you a know good what? segue, though. Like, uh, what do we got to do to clean up the image? Like, the envi- ESG is a big key thing yeah. right now, environmental, social governance. So, like, what brings the money back and changes the image? Stop calling it fossil fuels. Start calling it hydrocarbons. Uh, like, what do we, what do we, what do we do, Chuck? You know, Dan Pickering and I got in. Black this. gold is a good one again. We could go back. Oh yeah, take retro, it back. Retro names. Vintage. See, Dan and I got into this on. So the last two podcasts I've dropped have been two parter with Dan, and uh, I actually think we're dead. I don't think it ever comes back. Um, and Dan disagrees with that. Dan says, you know, look, you got two problems. The red problem, like the Dan. green problem. Team Dan. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, red, the, the red problem is worse than the green problem. So you start generating returns. You start making folks money. And at some point, ultimately, the CIO has to have exposure to industries that are doing well. Because if they don't, they're, they're not going to. But those other industries for energy are propped up. I mean, it's all bullcrap. Like none of those make any sense as far as science-wise. They can't produce the amount of energy we need, so we have to have oil and gas. So it's not a matter of if we're going away. We can't go away. Not, not to. I mean, but you have to invest in those technologies. To we can we can go play grow. with them, but I mean, is there a future? I don't know. Yeah. No. I mean, I think I think decarbonizing. Nuclear works, and we're not doing that. Yeah. Decarbonizing. I mean. It's real, and it's not regulatory. It is consumers, investors, companies, and it's a tidal wave. And so you ignore it at your peril. So the ESG thing is real. One of the things I'll talk about tonight is, you know, it is this tidal wave. It will also be a bigger bubble than the shale was. And at least the shale, we provided energy to the world at, call it $40 oil, which led to the growth of Amazon. I mean, they're not sending all those trucks around if oil's at $200 a barrel. So there, yeah. were, there was a societal benefit from the cheap energy. A bunch of wind towers and solar plants are going to fill up the, the garbage uh, sites Definitely. You know, over time uh, they not have tangential They benefits. were burying them in Wyoming. I guess they're, I was like, man, there's a business opportunity, and I guess it's uh, the film and stuff they use on those blades that makes it hard. I was like, let's mulch it up and use it for insulation. 
Let's do something because right now there's yeah, a put it in our asphalt yeah. on our roads. We yeah. always need roads. I know that's yeah. right, but they're burying them in landfills in Wyoming. So mm-hmm. you're they're double dipping. You're getting subsidized to build the 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 windmill or the solar towers or whatever, and then the government's also paying for you to dispose of them in a lot of cases too. So that does need to change, or at least you know all the batteries to too. This is the kind of stuff that I get my gold coins on Twitter for. I get really well, mad about it. Well, and I mean, but the the whole problem with all of this that you can use when you're arguing with your your liberals is, you know, in the pool, you don't have a peeing section and a non-peeing section. So we can unilaterally disarm all we want. And if China and India decide not to, guess what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's all one atmosphere. And so... They're like a... Who was saying that? Like, they're one generation away from, uh, you know, just being on a farm and burning, you know, uh, feces for fuel... At no point are they worried about their environmental footprint. They they like finding out that they have energy when they go drill. Yeah, it's, that's just emerging economies. They have a hard time. But us, I would actually disagree with you because I think we have to be, just because someone else isn't doing it, doesn't mean we should not do it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't uh, decarbon. De- I'm just saying, in effect, if we're going to unilaterally disarm, we're going to put... Such, I mean, what other business out there when ultimately the consumption of the product is the problem? Do we shoot the supplier as opposed to the consumer? I mean, drugs and and oil, right? Uh, You know, my three kids have lived the greatest lives on the planet of Mm -hmm. anyone. I want to live their lives. You ask them, hey, you want to get rid of oil and gas? They'd say yes, you know, in a heartbeat. I always say, great, stop using their product and they'll go away. But Same uh, argument we've had, but we told people like, Fine. Strip down naked. Walk into those woods. We'll see you. Good luck. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, no, I think I think what that means is so we're going to unilaterally disarm because we're going to run the oil and gas business just out of business. Here means they're going to produce it in places that don't care: Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Russia, etc. So the environment's going to get worse, and we're going to be. I mean, the only solution I really see is somehow we got to suck carbon out of the air. Yeah. I mean, it's carbon sequestration, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, because nobody, no, name a generation that has literally led a lesser standing of life than the previous generation. None. And you can't do that without hydrocarbons. Yeah. We, we've mm-hmm. made life uh, possible the way we have it on earth i mean yeah but we've been doing it the same way for like what a hundred years i don't know when uh, life is better with us it maybe. is but you know we're we're still using very similar technology as we did in the early 1900s like 1857 th- actually is your first oil thank Earl you Drake. do you know what uh do you know what uh what's his face did uh john wilkes booth did before he shot lincoln no what was he up he to? fracked wells did he really? literally would throw dynamite down uh, the well board, boom. That's how he financed being a crappy actor. That's fantastic. Yeah. No, but so it's going to end one of three ways. I mean, this is this is how it ends. Uh, number one, there's a catastrophe of some sort. Al Gore's right. Greta's right. You know, the, the world catches on fire, and we've got to do something about it. The United States actually, generally speaking, does pretty well in those scenarios. Yeah. I mean, World War One, World War Two. I mean, you know, so that's that happens. Number two. The greatest country on earth. Well, number one, would you say like a, a, 
a massive, like uh, we're saying, the size of Rhode Island uh, broke off the ice shelf two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't remember how many square miles, but it was hundreds. Yeah. A big, big piece. So what is this ca ca catastrophic event in your mind that causes us to... I don't, I, I don't think it happens overnight. I just think we blend and slowly move away. But what is this catastrophic event? Well, I mean, I mean, if you had a hole in the ozone layer and all of a sudden people are getting zapped as the sun goes around. I mean, something catastrophic. Because I told you one of three things. That's terrifying. Happen. At that but, point, you know, it would be too late. That's what we thought was going to happen to us when my sister had bangs. Katie, did you ever look at like pictures from like a few years back when all the bangs were? Yeah, like, spray. You can't use those. You can't use Aquaspray anymore. <laughs> we had like five or six cans of Aquaspray a day going through our house. The 80s would not have happened. <laughs> too bad. <laughs> the puffy hair would not have happened. Hey, I pull off the puffy now. Is. Thank you. Anyway, so that's natural. She has hair. She balances this table. The puffy. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. It doesn't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So something catastrophic, and I don't know, even know what that is. Something that causes Leonardo DiCaprio not to fly on a private plane. To his environment. Dogs meeting. and cats mm -hmm. sleeping together. You know, mass hey. area, right? I hope he takes Titanic too. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right, number two. So, so number two. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, one thing on that, though. Yep. The problem is this catastrophic event, you know, it, it, you can find your biases. I, I hope on, that Rhode Island ice Why it actually team. happened, though. Like, if you go on Facebook or one of the social medias and you don't believe that guy actually got shot down because there was a hole in the ozone layer, right? You, it's going to be something else. Like, he had a heart attack and more prone to electric shock. I don't know. So uh, this catastrophic event, it has to be filmed. Right? It has to be a massive thing where a bunch of people And it can't be a blurry shot. film. Like, okay. you know, like, I just that. don't see how people like, ever see a catastrophic it's not, event. Yeah. It's not like when we grew up. Like Everything's on film, and I'm sure that there would be 4,000 TikToks, and it would go viral in a minute. So I don't think we have to worry about being captured no, on we're film. Talking, we're talking Pearl Harbor or something. Yeah. Right? Okay. I mean, like mass. Catastrophic. Okay. Number two. Number two. China. India the, India, the United States, sit down and we just figure out how we're going to reduce carbon. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, there's a deal that could be done and should be done, and it should really happen soon in terms of maybe the United States finances at low interest rates, not your 10%, mm. lower, but uh, natural gas infrastructure build in China. Uh, I don't know about India's setup in terms of having resources but yeah you know, is that looking out is that china uh, drilling for their own resources or is that uh us drilling and we have natural gas resources that we ship over there or a mixture of both uh, you know probably all of the above i'm more the idea guy you can go execute and <laughs> okay come you up got with it a plan that makes sense but basically i mean i do think china and india have a leg to stand on in terms of hey man y'all got mtv i got raked over the coals on Twitter, so uh, I love for saying, saying I love MTV, and they're like, dude, that was like 30 years mm -hmm. ago. I'm doubling down on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Can we buy that? Like, uh, what's the uh, what's that stock that everybody bought and uh, brought that company back to AMC. life? AMC, right? AMC. So, hey, buy, the, you heard it here first, folks, uh, buy MTV. <laughs> yeah, back, back when they played videos. MTV uh, coin. <laughs> so, MTV, Coke. Levi's jeans, you know. Oh, I love Levi's jeans. Yeah. We taught them consumption. <laughs> yeah, no, and so I think I think it's fair enough for those guys to say, well, why should we live a lesser standard? Y'all polluted the hell out of things to get to where you yeah. are. Fair enough. We've got resources. We'll, in effect, finance it so y'all skip coal. Just stop. 
stop the three plants every week or whatever you're building, go to natural gas because mm. that, that'll at least turn the trajectory in the right way. Uh, I don't know about okay. Africa and whether we could what we could do there, but that that's the big yeah they're thing. very so disenfranchised. That, that, that's number two. Mm-hmm. That, okay. That, it, it okay. Goes that way. Well, now you're talking about us printing money, which is well, when do it like we're the petrodollar, but eventually yeah, when does that right stop? <laughs> right, we're yeah. quantitative Never. easing was crazy in '09, and we're still doing it. So right? we, now we we're buying it, bonds. We founded the Fed in what like 1912. Oh gosh, and, the creature at Jekyll Island, uh, Woodrow Wilson. Someone asked me my favorite president. I always tell him my most hated, this and guy, it's Woodrow right? Wilson because he's the one that signed that. Created the uh, Fed and here's a know, poster of him. Nice. <laughs> it just the creature thing got me. I was just like, wait, what? No, it's a book. It is a book written about uh, oh, okay. how the the banks and the pretty much the big three and uh, Standard Oil or whoever, a couple of the big guys got in the back room and they discussed creating the Fed, like okay. the centralized current uh, banking. It, it happens just, to every country at some. He's point. got books on the Trilateral Commission, the Illuminati, like you know, whatever you think I just, of. I was sitting there for a second, and like I was thinking about something else, and I heard that, and in the corner of my room, like, oh god, he's gonna go try to find Nessie or Sasquatch. No, so he's done. That's that. where hey, I was. There was a grassy knoll shooter. I'm down with you on this. Hey, I'm, I'm No, this is not a conspiracy. This is just a book, right? It, it's it's based. It's an island. Jekyll Island is just. An, it's an island <laughs> off the east coast. And they just met there and had yeah. a discussion behind closed door, and then you know they dropped the paperwork. And I mean, the Fed balance sheet during the recession of oh seven oh eight that we thought was ridiculous was what like seven hundred fifty billion, eight hundred yeah. billion. Today it's ten times that. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. twenty seven trillion or thirty trillion. Did we cross? No, 30? I think it's eight. I don't even know. All I know is over and over again. We bought six trillion last year alone. We keep this democracy together, and we fight wars overseas that are against us. I mean, I mean, really, we've we've kept communism at bay. I mean, thank you for how our country runs things as as best they can. It's a monster. No, I mean, at at the end of the day, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this on my podcast when Quick Draw and BRV were were debating. If you actually listen to the rhetoric from the right wing nuts like Proud Boys and QAnon and all that, (laughs) and you listen to the left wing nuts. Um, the various groups there, Antifa, etc. The complaints are the same. Yeah, it's about being disenfranchised, etc. And you know, the thing that causes all that is, in effect, the devaluation of the dollar. Because sure. poor people get a paycheck that's denominated in dollars. They don't own stock of Amazon. They don't own real estate and the like. And it's literally that's the way that politicians can tax poor people, and they don't know it. Gotcha. Yeah, you now, it is crazy uh, when I listen to these, and I'll listen to different politicians talk about it. And, you know, what our big things are always it's abortion, religion, which kind of tie into it, and non regulation. I love regulation. I absolutely love regulation. I think it's great because every time we loosen regulation, we get a bubble, which we're going through right now. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, there's, I don't know. Yeah, so, so number three? So door number three is it turns into a nothing burger. I mean, right? I mean, what 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 percent of the atmosphere is CO two? I mean, it's point oh four percent, right? It's four hundred parts per million, right? And all of the global warming hysteria, bad stuff, is based on the assumption because we've gone from call it two hundred fifty parts per million to call it 400 or 425 wherever we are 
and we're extrapolating linearly the same increase in temperature and all that, I mean, we don't know, but there's at least a little bit of science that says, hey, we hit 500, 600, 700, 800, it just flattens out. You know, we get to 15% CO2 in the air, yeah, we're Mars and we're all dead, but, you know, to some degree... You know, we we don't know. So it could turn into a nothing burger. We could be sitting here in 30 years going, wow, that really doesn't matter. Why were they all freaking out? Yeah, why were they all freaking out? Now, I had Art Berman on the uh, podcast, and Art goes, yeah, but what if we're wrong? That really sucks. (laughs) See, that's just what I was thinking. Like, we still need to repair for the fact that, yeah, it might be right. Yeah, hedge your bets a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Man, then you go back and you just see, like, over and over and over again throughout all these you know newspapers and throughout time you just see emergency this emergency that emergency this oh it's going to be super cold it's going to be super hot i mean it's just you know what never back then did it all those newscasts did not affect industry like it does today right you know and it doesn't affect people's lives and pocketbooks like it does today i mean for the most part i could wake up never watch the news go about my job and my life's going to improve. And nowadays it can, I mean, our politics can, you know, be detrimental to our lives these days. You yeah. know, the, the flip of a switch up there in Washington or heck locally, you know, we could have another tax on our wellhead and all these rigs lay down and go out the door. What rigs? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I don't, I think we're past the nothing burger though. As a society, we're, we're moving like what we've been talking about. We're going to do something. I'm talking actual outcomes. Yeah. 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 I'm not saying what people are expecting or thinking or planning for. I'm just saying in 30 years, we may look up in the, in the actual sciences. Holy cow. It didn't matter. I always go back to Newton's law with every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction. So I just can't think us pumping all this into local atmospheres. That's what everyone tells me. We can't affect the world, but we can affect a local climate. I have a hard time with that. A breeze blows it everywhere, and eventually you get more and more saturation in the air. I'm going to have bigger tomatoes and bigger jalapenos and bigger onions. Well, you have a longer growing season because it'll be warmer. That's it. And my salsa is going to be amazing. Moves to Florida anyway. Yeah, it's going to be good if we're alive. I actually, uh, my my end goal is to move to Florida as well. Yeah, or Mexico. I do like Mexico. Well, a lot of Florida would be underwater though. If it did happen, that's bull. The same, that picture where the, like, the Statue of Liberty has the same water line as it always has, you know, stuff like that. Like, ah, our water's not going up. That's yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I'm only just talking about the, the big fears, I guess, devil's advocate, playing the other side. I don't know the right answer. Yeah, I just worry it's, you know, like tobacco, you know, back in, you know, 50 years ago and even farther than that, you know. There's people starting to say, oh, this causes cancer, and this is bad. There were a bunch of people saying, nah, you can, you know, smoke all you want, smoke when you're pregnant, you know, you're fine, you're fine. Doctors actually endorsed it. You You know, know, we had mercury treatments, and, you know, and now we're like, oh, that that was was bad. Can we just erase that kind of stain from, you know, our existence? And so I just worry, you know, and... 30, well, 50 years, we're looking back like we were looking back at the poster of the pregnant lady smoking going. You you are oh. in a particularly interesting place. And I mean, just from being in oil and gas and in science and, you know, in tech, you know, being a woman, being at your generation. I mean, you have a huge amount of people on the other side as your peers. Yeah. That, you know, I don't know if they, you know, collaborate with you or come at you. So I went to Marietta College. Um, Love the college to death, um, but, you know, I was a petroleum student there. Marietta is a very, very liberal college, and it felt like we were on an island on the college a lot. Um, 
So when Trump got elected, the college sent out an email that was like, hey, you know, you don't have to go to class tomorrow. We're going to have, you know, people that you can come and talk to. A morning ceremony? Well, yeah, like people you can talk to about your feelings and everything. And the petroleum department was like, you better come to class. I like, don't know what these feelings things yeah. you are talking about. But yeah, so like it, it was, you know, I, I lived in a very liberal dorm room because I wanted quiet, had headaches, wanted to study two majors. I was drowning. Um, so I had my friends over and they're like screaming that Trump won and above me, like the girl came down and uh, she's very liberal. Her boyfriend was a petroleum student and she's like, I'm so sorry. They were loud. Like she's very upset and she's like crying. And in my room, they're like doing shots and they're excited. And I was just like, fascinating so but it was you know the the newscaster on the mall the next day like we had the mall the center walk yeah was like you know asking about my opinions and i was like oh you know i think trump has the ability to maybe do some things here and there and he's like you're wrong i was like i thought this was supposed to be unbiased i thought this was and he's not like that ma- is unbiased. that shouldn't even matter that much to a college student like back there was a, not, a time short you know period ago where we probably didn't really know who the president was at all well, and that's the ultimate irony of the whole thing. I mean, the one who literally changed the direction of thought in the United States was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Government is the problem and all. Yet he restored confidence in the government. Total, and now it yeah, matters. Total Everybody irony. fights over who the president is. Back before, you know, back in the late 70s, no one really cared. No one so, no. You know, he was the father of uh, trickle-down economics. Yeah. And that is pretty terrible, by the way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah? Uh, well, just look at the concentration of wealth. Because of that, it's not trickling down. We're just automating. I am for well, profit, and if somebody figures out how to do it, good for them. Well, well two, 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 yeah. points, two points on concentration of wealth. One, I don't, I'll don't. i be the poorest guy on the planet if my standard of living's here. Sure. So I think yeah. part of this concentration of wealth is just demonizing folks and all that. Because, I mean... You know, you look at poverty today, the average poor person has washer and dryer, they have cable TV, they have an iPhone. In the United States. Yeah, in the United States versus, you know, 50 years ago, the standard of living for a poor person. So do I really care if Jeff Bezos is that rich when 97% of all Americans have cable TV? No. Well, so I do it, care about his lack of taxes paid by Amazon in general. Like the tax structure and all that. Here's kind of the issue. I like the guys that can make deals like that. I mean, no, I, I don't want to stifle innovation, but uh, Jeff Bezos can only wear so many pairs of pants. His velocity of money is not good enough to get it circulating through the, the markets to, to get into other people's pockets to keep our consumerism going. Yeah, but if, if you look at this, and we can simplify this down a little, and tell me which assumption you disagree with. About half to two-thirds of the nation's income, if you will, runs through the government, right? Mm-hmm. Income taxes, property taxes, capital gains taxes, the like, right? How many jobs are created? How many jobs are there that people work for the government versus the other half of the income that stays in the private sector and how many jobs do we have? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's literally five times the amount of jobs in the private sector. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, to your point on triple, trickle down, et cetera, it's like, 
I actually think we should be taking more money out of the government into the private sector. Oh, I'm a fan of that. Because Don't think it's, it's 5X, yeah. the number of job creation. The problem is before uh, before trickle economics or trickle down economics, and I'll just say earlier uh, in the 60s and 70s, instead of buying financial instruments and using their money to create more wealth by just buying other financial instruments and getting a dividend, it used to be invested back into businesses and hiring more people. I would say that has changed dramatically to where this wealth is not actually getting out off of, to Main Street from Wall Street. It stays there and it circulates and it just makes more money. That money does not flow back into the uh, economies, especially yeah. with Amazon. Yeah, but again, I kind of go back to the, uh, the point of... You know, is everybody's standard of living better today than it was 50 years ago? I'm not arguing that. The problem is I know a lot of people, like I have some investments. I pay less taxes than most people I know, right, because of the tax structure and how it's set up, right? Wealthy people pay less taxes oh, yeah, but by percentage. I don't care about the number. I literally do not care. But, uh, percentage but, is the only normalization. I know they pay three hundred million in taxes, but you if they make should be forty billion. You should giving it. be giving classes on LinkedIn about uh, hey, if you are uh, what you feel, your feelings that you're poor, come to me and I will teach you that your feelings are legitimate and that we will teach you how to be. Uh, not paying as many taxes. Well, but but in terms of the percent of all the tax revenue that's gone to the government, the rich are paying by far. Not by percent. Uh, I'll buy total. By total amount. But yes. I'm saying as an individual. When, when, is an, when is it enough? Their tax rate is 15%-ish because they're doing the capital gains, take low salaries, take it all in the back end to lower their tax rate. So their normalized tax rate is maybe 21%, if that. Like Trump paid $750. I don't blame Trump, by the way. I don't blame these guys right. for getting these. I just think it's not set up. I, just, I, I don't like the way it's set up at all because in my mind, if you hand them one more dollar and they burn it in front of you again, why should I give you a second and a third and a fourth? The problem is you're giving your dollar compared to a very wealthy person, they're giving a a smaller percentage of their dollar to be burned by a... Yeah, no, it's all wrong. It's very inefficient. I'm not arguing that. I like flat tax or consumption tax. Yeah, no, and I I actually agree with you on that. I think think that's probably the fairest way... To, uh, well, they had that whole group that. for a while, the fair tax. Right? No, we had, well, there were actually they three were Republicans it. that were going against Trump that all wanted a flat tax. There was Ben Carson, Rand Paul, and Ted Cruz was the third one that all were talking about a flat tax. Consumption but it will never only. work. Yeah, yeah Eric, not, not, no, it's like 14 it's not and a half percent. It will never work. It's like, hey, everything's going to Well, it would never be allowed pains. to pass, yeah, is go. what I'm saying, unfortunately, because the loopholes are very powerful and lobbyist groups and all that yeah. there's a lot of money in it to protect those tax loopholes but we really just need a flat tax no matter who you are you pay 14 percent. everyone pays less if everyone pays but today we do have the highest percentage of americans that don't even pay federal income tax mm-hmm. so yes we the the rich people pay lower tax rates than poor people but the rich people pay so much more of the tax. I don't care. That I want normalized, and that's only percentage. By saying they, they have a higher volume does not matter. It's, it, it's less of a dollar. Could private equity firms do a better job of bailout? <coughs> could bless we get. You. Yeah, bless you. Coughing, thank you. Private equity firms, and what we're saying is they need to make poor people rich. 
There we go. There we have it. Uh, that's the beauty about oil and gas. The, the takeaway is invest in uh, firms that are going to go private equity and get into oil and gas. If you're out there investing in solar or wind, it's a no-win situation. Just invest in oil and gas. Get so, rich. I, I, I actually think it goes back to the point we talked about earlier. It's It really is the devaluation of the dollar yeah. that causes poverty. Uh, I would have that's, ta- that's taxing poor people. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I mean, when you devalue the dollar and you own assets, Bezos owns Amazon stock, so he doesn't get any poorer mm-hmm. when you devalue the dollar. The person getting the paycheck gets poorer every day. Yeah, and that's always. And then my they concern. turn around and go out and buy crap like Dogecoin. Like it's their own <laughs> fault. Just go to work. Get up off your couch. Stop sucking off the teat of the government and get to work. So that's an interesting thing. These people that were sucking off the teat, I don't really agree with that. We have friends that have been sitting Shocker. at the house for the last year. They're engineers or someone that was making they, six figures. They, they, paid, go, go they paid into the system. But they you're, you're stereotyping all of them. You're no, just talking I'm about not. the people that make minimum wage. You know don't what want I'm to get talking a job. about. I'm just saying <laughs> it's interesting that no one wanted to go to work, and now you have several states saying, all right, we're pulling that $300 All the people that you and I know wanted to stay working, and oh, they've done everything Amen. they Well, everyone else does, but... Okay, and I have a I have a real quandary with. Work? I don't know what the hell y'all are talking about. He yeah. wants to go back. No, to work, no, whatever. <laughs> yeah. he the wants quandary to, I have. When you go back to work, please be the boss. No. <laughs> that, You're that, that was again my, when you talked about being unemployable. That's what I mean. Like you should probably be the boss. <laughs> no, 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 no. I did have my Jerry Maguire moment in July where yeah. I, I, the I, money. I, I no, well, no, it was more the mission statement. Okay. You know, I uh, I wrote I sat. I, so I decided I wasn't going to drink during quarantine, just because that wouldn't end well, right? I'm living by myself out in Richmond, you know, Richmond, Texas, start drinking. It's going to eventually turn into waking up, having a cocktail, you know, something. so I stopped drinking. It's not a cocktail if it's uh, Irish cream, by the way. It's coffee. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that loophole. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. You're welcome for that. So, so in coffee. July, yeah, I, got on a, I got on a... Zoom happy hour with some friends, had a bottle of wine, cheap drunk at that point. Another friend calls up another bottle of wine, pretty tipsy. I sit at the computer for 24 hours. I do write a business plan. Um, I call it. I called it the manifesto because at, at oh, about Lord. that point in quarantine, I'm going. The Unabomber was just misunderstood. Oh, that guy no. might have been. That guy been, might have been on to something. The, uh, so anyway, I did write a business plan, and literally number one on that business plan was I will never manage another person again. So yeah, okay. Yep. Nice. Any Maybe company a, I start will a have company one of one. That's me. Yes. <laughs> That's fair. So now that we've gone to like the Unabomber, I'm gonna I'm gonna sidetrack and take over the conversation for a moment. Thank Matt you. knows exactly where I'm going with this. So I will say one of my favorite things about the oil and gas community, and I will preach about this until the day I die. We give so much back to the community. And, you know, Oklahoma education is, I mean, dependent on oil and gas. But, um, so I am a very active proponent of SPE, Society of Petroleum Engineers. And every year we have a Mardi Gras gala. This year it's the Masquerade Gala because I was hedging my bets and, you know, Masquerade and Capes Week, you know. Ah, Couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. yeah. She, Thank yeah, you, Brittany, for ahead. the help with that. Um, but anyway, so we hold this charity gala. It benefits the Willow Springs Boys Ranch. If you've never heard of them, it's this Christian Boys Ranch out in Chandler, Oklahoma, and it's it's fantastic. Um, Matt helped us. He cooked, and we had a work day there, and it was fantastic. Um, if you ever have a chance, go. Willow Springs Boys Ranch. Look them up. It's fantastic. Near and dear to my heart. But anyway, 
So we have a charity gala, and this year I am struggling hardcore. We need sponsors, and more than that, I don't, you know, I don't care if you don't want to sponsor. If you are anybody out there, any company out there, we need auction items. Um, we have silent auctions and live auctions, and all the proceeds from that go to Willis Springs Boys Ranch. Right now they have two houses out there, and they can only afford to keep one open. How can they get a hold of you to be part of the Masquerade uh, Gala? So my email is katie.plass at gmail.com. He will link it somewhere in a bio somewhere. Yeah, and um, then they can also go to the SPE website and yes. find the Oklahoma City chapter. SPE Oklahoma City chapter has their own website, and the Masquerade uh, Gala is on there. And uh, there's an Eventbrite where you can buy tickets if you want to go. Sponsor. Uh, it's please sponsor. Event. Please donate. Yeah, and if you don't want to sponsor, honestly, like even if you're a small oil and gas company or not, bottle of scotch we can raffle off a gun private anything. equity firms are welcome to pitch in as yeah, well yeah it's a great place for if you know any yeah Dave Grohl and Kid Rock, yeah, you're welcome Dave to Grohl, call I'm, and sponsor I'm Willis, you. Uh, Willis if you will help me out. Fatty hoodie. There we yeah, go. I'm, like, I'm willing to contribute. Oh, dude. Yeah. We'll get you a ticket to Dave Grohl's concert. Trace management will yeah. be a sponsor. That's yeah. what Jeremiah but, told me earlier. But seriously, guys, like we are hurting for Allegedly. auction items. We are hurting for sponsorships, and we could really use y'all's help. That's how Matt got me on here today, because he promised that I could plug that, because... We are struggling, and if you want to go, it is a blast. I know you've gone, yep. and you've gone. Yeah, it is it is a party. Uh, I don't get to dress it. So the one night a year I get to dress in a tux it happens to be an oil and gas event, and it's fantastic. And oh, yeah. Casino night, great casino food. Casino night. Where oh. is this? What if you time? like oil and gas, you get to roll the dice again. Yeah, so What's it's date? August 21st. It's the day after my birthday. You want to come celebrate with me um, at Oklahoma City Golf Country Club. I think it's. It's either 5 to 11 or 6 to 11. Um, it's on Eventbrite and everything. Please Get there early, me. stay late. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a beautiful place. Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. I'll, yeah, I'll, invite, you as my, I'll invite you as my plus two. Missy's got to dress up. She likes to uh, dress up in the nude. But you can be my plus, one, you know, plus two if you bring those shoes. I like the way you're winking at me when you said that. Yeah, a little bit of wink. <laughs> <right there. laughs> yeah, please, y'all. Come help. Come out and have fun. Uh you should come. Yeah, I gotta oh, get please. you out of this it's, podcast it is too. A blast. You're about to uh, have to go speak at the Petroleum Alliance, another great organization here. Uh, what can we plug for you? What's your uh, podcast again? It's called Chuck Yates Needs a Job. Get him a job. Uh, <laughs> listen to his podcast. ChuckYatesNeedsAJob.com. Um, digital Wildcatters. Digital Wildcatters. The, uh, and all the pl- I, I did look. You're on uh, all the podcast uh, platforms. Apple, Spotify. Yeah, yeah Digital Wildcatters does a good job of uh, of getting the podcast out there. What so. is Digital Wildcatters? This is the first time I've heard of it. They have a smorgasbord. So a uh, group of guys, and I mean they're in oil and gas, but I mean essentially they have a, a bunch of people doing podcasts and giving it to them. Okay. Yeah, digital media company. It's it's funny they're out uh, doing a fundraise kind of as we speak, and Colin McClellan, who's frack slap on Twitter, but he's the CEO, and they have a private equity firm come in, guys sitting in suits on the other side of the table, and Colin always likes to open the uh, meetings with, we have accumulated a group of thought leaders that plan to disrupt the oil and gas business. That's what we are, Jeremiah and I, Mm -hmm. disruptors. Thought leaders. I can see that. He's the the thought leader, yeah. (laughs) 
So Colin, Colin Katie's the thought rain it in. There we go. Rain it in, dipshit. Yeah, <laughs> Excuse Ow. me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's the party person, the, by the uh, way. Party planner. Party like, planner. So Colin leads off with that to these private equity uh, folks, and someone looks up over their glasses and says, "I just went on your website and listened to a podcast where Chuck Yates." Sent seventy five dollars worth of lube to a young lady on a date. And Colin just like, oh my god! And there you have it, folks. So, <laughs> buddy, 30, 30, 30 seconds later, the private equity guy let him off the hook and said, "Actually, that was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard." We had an episode called Pizzagate, mm-hmm. where a uh, oh, a, a young lady was live tweeting. Hillary, I have nothing to do with this. Don't kill me. Yeah, she was live tweeting a date about how a guy was supposed to show up at her house with a steak and cook it for her and he shows up without a steak. So I didn't know her, but we have friends in common. So I just started delivering pizzas to her house. That's amazing. And she's tweeting this out. Who the hell is sending me pizzas? And it went on to condoms and then it went on to lube. The greatest thing is the app I'm using that to send $75 worth of lube, the algorithm pops up at that moment. Would you like to send a scented candle? And I'm like, well, of course. Yeah, of course. Come on. So anyway, we, That's great. Right. 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 Why so, you bought that? You so, slide this too? Exactly. So, uh, man, so no anyway, wonder my Amazon it. feed's full of That algorithm. Things. Man, so that algorithm said, well, when people buy condoms, they yeah. typically buy the candle to set the mood. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at yeah. least that's... So, I mean, so the podcast kind of all over the place. I've done... You They're know, great, by the way. You guys got to tune thing. in. Yeah, it's Chuck Yates' really job is fantastic, and you are all over the place. You know what? Are you? I got to ask. Are you coming up? Because you know Jeremiah and I's podcast. You can, by the way, hear this today. The Talking Energy Show. You can go to talkingenergyshow.com, and it has all the links to uh, get to the show. Do you come up with the names for each individual podcast? Yeah, those are pretty good. All right, what's the name I'm, of this one then? What do you What do you want to do with this? Yeah, one? I should, I'm gonna I'm gonna start following your lead because mine have so been like episode six, Chuck Yates, and that's it. I was gonna do Crash Course of PE with the guy that is no longer. You've got to watch. You've got to look at his. Way more creative. Now. Yeah. So what are yeah. we calling this one? I have no idea. This is. Uh... I have no idea. Give me two drinks and me tonight. And okay, we'll, you we'll got talk it. About okay. it. Noted. Yeah. Chuck Yates still needs a job. All right, we're <laughs> going to... Still needs now. a job. I could, I could probably... You and I could... I mean, I would have you in every day. You're fantastic. Chuck, well, it's, thank you it's so been much. a lot yeah, of man. Been this, is a, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate the light banter and uh, discussion. And yeah. finding out, again, about private equity. You'll have fun, man. That group yeah. of people are going to... Yeah, oil and gas people. Salt of the earth, man. Salt Even of the earth. Even if you fuck it up, they're still going to clap. Well, well Brian, Brian, we're the Brian water of the earth. Well, what time do you go on? Because people are already at the piano bar drinking, I'm sure. So you'll be... Most He's got to go. Like, we got to get him out of here. I've heard it's like 6.15 or something. Oh, okay. So. Oh, okay, but good. I, but I don't know... They, uh, I like that you think you need to practice your shtick. I don't think so. He's got this down. I don't know. I, I, I do have some notes, generally speaking. Oh, that's good. Do you got any jokes you want to make sure that we get? Yeah, give us, give, us yeah. One for you or give us one of your jokes. Yeah. Is it a dad All right. joke? All right. So uh, so here's the opening joke, and uh, we'll do this right at the end. So okay. you can just edit this off if this doesn't need to go on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we don't definitely need to go. <laughs> yeah. You say something like that. So, so here, here will be the opening joke. I'm going to okay. get up there and say, well, you know, I was signing into the hotel. And you know how it always has you, like, sign, but then you have to initial certain mm-hmm. things? And nobody ever reads that, right? Well, I actually read that, and one of the things I initialed actually gives 
Harold Hamm the right to be rifling through my room tonight while I'm giving this speech. Oh, I don't know that you. Man. It's good, anyway. It's pleasure meeting. Oh, hey, we did it. Uh, we did it. Uh, I mean, I'm not, actually, I'm not slow clapping. Yeah. <laughs> Do I say that tonight or not? Oh, you should definitely Thank say you. it. Yeah. I, think, I have younger brothers. First of all, <laughs> I think like, I think sure, uh, the older brothers. Everybody Chuck Yates really doesn't want a job. <laughs> Not no. He, I think Harold immediately like you know what you're hired. Also, so I can pick on you the rest of your career here with yeah. me. Yeah, he's a great guy. No, I I don't know Harold well. I've, uh, I actually uh, met him one time, and he made fun of the fact that I was wearing a flash hoodie to the IPAA meeting in Sea Island, Georgia. So, <laughs> yeah, props to Harold for that. That's it, everybody. Oh, this, like Flash Gordon, or what this is this is how you get out of here. The here you flash go. <laughs> the Flash, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, Flash, yeah. So. All right, that's it. Chuck Yates on the Talking Energy Show with Katie yeah, Ploss, and uh, go to uh, SPE uh, Oklahoma City chapter and get on and uh, sign up to be a sponsor for Please the uh, reach Masquerade out. Ball, and because uh, we're gonna have a boss on. Reach August out to 21st. Jeremiah, yeah. Trace Management, Matt Hill, Night Energy Services, Chuck Yates, and your job. Thank you, everybody. God David bless. David Grohl, reach out. <laughs> Bye. See ya.